He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, is the end of dairy on the horizon? While lab-grown meat that oozes blood has been given a lot of attention, the real threat could be to New Zealand's biggest export industry, dairy. Young, enthusiastic entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley have got their eyes on solving an important world problem, climate change, and in particular the contribution made by dairy cattle emissions. But the problem they're eagerly trying to solve could be a major problem for New Zealand. They want to take cows out of the dairy equation by using yeast fermentation to make synthetic products that look and taste like the real thing. And some of them have got their sights set on the exact markets New Zealand's economy is dependent on. Insight senior specialist reporter Teresa Cowie investigates how close they're getting and how worried New Zealand should be. Until recently, the idea of milk and cheese grown in the sterile confines of a lab would have been hard to swallow. It seemed maybe even a little creepy. But for some, that ick factor has shifted to natural dairy and its impact on the environment. And now test tube dairy is starting to look like a more palatable alternative. But an alternative that could devastate our economy. New Zealand is so incredibly economically dependent on dairy. When dairy sneezes, we all get a cold. So how do we do something different? And how do we really make the most of the opportunity we've got? Because synthetic dairy is, it's scary. That's Danielle Appleton. She's a food technologist and a founder of a couple of dairy and alternative dairy startups. She doesn't want to be the one casting a pall of doom over the industry she's grown up in an industry she loves. But the dairy industry insider has decided to speak out because she's worried farmers and the industry are not facing up to the fact that synthetic proteins have the potential to massively disrupt this huge player in our economy. Maybe even bring it to its knees. I actually went to primary school just down the road from a dairy factory and that's the dairy factory where I started working um, when I left uni. So I did an engineering degree and focused mostly on dairy. So I worked in dairy for about 10 years, uh, not on the cow side, more on the what we do with the milk side. I, like I said, got my engineering degree, um, worked in lots of dairy factories and laboratories, and then I got my Masters of Dairy Science and Technology through Fonterra, which was an amazing experience. I then moved up to um, head office um, to help make moving and selling dairy products as efficient as possible. So I'm really passionate about the impact that the um, dairy industry has on rural communities, like the one I grew up in. The dairy industry actually, um, it educated me, entertained me, and looked after me for well over a decade. So I'm actually really grateful for the experiences I've had. But seeing the technology that's coming, I can see that things are changing rapidly. And the people behind me won't necessarily get those kinds of opportunities. Which begs the question, what's next? So what exactly is scary about synthetic dairy and what threat does it pose to New Zealand? So when most people think about dairy, uh, you'll think about yoghurt, milk, maybe a flat white, maybe the ice cream you had last night. When someone like me in the dairy industry thinks about milk, I think about 
the milk sugar that goes into paracetamol and I think about some of the dairy ingredients used to make wine really crystal clear. I think about um, some of the ingredients I bought today. So chips. Most chips have dairy ingredients. Some other stuff that uh, might surprise you, frozen foods. So often to stop your chicken strips or bits of potato sticking together in the freezer, some dairy powders might be used to help stop that from happening. And my favourite, which is furniture paint. New Zealand dairy is in the business of ingredients, the stuff you can't see. We sell bags of powders, like whey protein and casein, to big food and manufacturing companies. Hardly any leaves our shores in the form of foods and drinks that you're likely to see in the dairy section of the supermarket fridge. What dairy in New Zealand actually is, is a whole bunch of anonymous dairy powders They get sold to other big food companies who then put it into their packet chips, their tinned soups, their chocolates. So in New Zealand, dairy is really about selling ingredients to other food businesses. And that is the exact niche that synthetic dairy is going to be going for. Danielle Appleton says the idea that our clean green milk is appreciated by bulk purchasers is a myth. She argues the big food companies we sell to wouldn't give a moment's thought as to whether the ingredients in the paracetamol, paint or chips they're making came from a cow living in a lush paddock in New Zealand or a shed in the northern hemisphere. What they want is a steady supply at a competitive rate. If someone can make cheaper alternative proteins to mix into those products, our bags of dairy powders will be scratched off the ingredients list. And in California, there are companies working on just that. Perfect Day, a startup based in San Francisco, has already made synthetic dairy proteins from yeasts that look and taste like real dairy, but eliminate the need for cows. So far, they've made it in the form of ice cream. But the company's plan is not to make fancy dairy products for the supermarket fridge. It's focusing on the bulk ingredients market the very place where the dairy proteins that New Zealand's economy is so heavily reliant on are sold. Its co-founder, vegan and chemical engineer Ryan Pandia, is one to watch on the Forbes magazine list of 30 under 30 young business trailblazers. Perfect Day is developing a kinder and greener way for the world to make dairy using fermentation instead of animal farming. We're developing a more sustainable way to do more with less when we make uh, something as resource-intensive as dairy. On this Forbes list, he's categorised as a social entrepreneur. One of those, it says, who's leveraging business smarts to save the world. But he's clearly got his sights set on the big bucks too. In an interview with the website Food Navigator USA, he said if he can crack the ingredients market, that's the ultimate prize. The size is pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about anywhere you'd see dairy milk today, Mm-hmm. We imagine our proteins would function as expected, mm-hmm. um, if not being able to enable even new things outside of what dairy can do today. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm most excited about things that you and I would recognize as mm-hmm. fresh dairy products, cheese, yogurt, ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it turns out, what we've learned on our journey is that dairy ends up in many more places than just the fresh dairy case, right? Mm-hmm. So there's pretty much any aisle in the grocery store you can think of, there's some kind of dairy in there. The dairy Perfect Days making is not the alternative dairy provided by a whole range of plant juices presented as so-called milks, the likes of almond or soy milk, or solid products such as nut butter and cashew cheeses. 
The new form of dairy alternative uses genetic modification and yeast fermentation to create something that mimics the real thing. Ryan Pandia explains how his company makes milk without cows. We're using fermentation, which is essentially the ancient art and science of converting nutrients from one form to another. It's the exact same biology that happens inside of a cow's udder, but we've ported it to a more efficient organism, which is yeast. And so in the end, if you want to picture what it looks like, it's, it's sort of like a tank, the same way that you would make beer. You put yeast in it, you give them plant nutrients, and they turn it into milk protein. And though each and every little yeast cell inside that tank is doing the job of a cell in the udder of a cow, but we don't need the rest of the cow to control the environment. We don't need to spend our resources and our process inputs creating a 2,000-pound animal. It goes straight into food, less sort of animal parts that, that end up being waste, and less methane and other pollutants that go into the atmosphere. Those literal uh, sinks of carbon instead become more food for people. Danielle Appleton says Perfect Day is already making headway in the ingredients market. Late last year, it signed a partnership deal with Archer Daniels Midland Company, or ADM, one of the world's largest providers of processed food ingredients. The aim? To combine their forces to develop and commercialise animal-free dairy. ADM is the fourth largest food ingredient company in the world. These guys are five times larger than Fonterra. They're huge in corn and wheat ingredients, and they plan on adding dairy to their portfolio using synthetic biology. So ADM are working with Perfect Day in order to create things like whey protein powders that they can sell as an ingredient. Together, the two could be a powerful force against New Zealand farm dairy ingredients. Another big food company eyeing up animal-free proteins is Nestle, the international food giant and a key customer of Fonterra. Hans Yor is the corporate head of agriculture for Nestle. He spoke to RNZ's Rural News last month at a federated farmers' conference. We are developing a lot of these products. Uh, we are also acquiring companies, startups who are in this uh, uh, environment, and uh, we are learning uh, by doing. And in, in Europe, in certain segments, we are already uh, leaders in this category. Yeah. He says the company's been exploring plant-based proteins and whether the move away from animal proteins is a trend that'll stick around. Is this mainly a big hype or is it really a big trend and something that is for staying or something that is just like a a kind of a a straw fire? And uh, I'm of the opinion that, in fact, the transition from animal protein to plant protein is not a straw fire, it's really a big trend. We have to be very careful to watch and to really uh, deliver what the consumer's preferences are in that sense. I'm Teresa Cowie, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme about the threats synthetic dairy proteins pose to our industry. Danielle Appleton says innovation backed by big companies is racing ahead and the disruption to New Zealand's dairy industry could be fast and furious. While her knowledge and love of the dairy industry runs deep and was the community she was surrounded by as a child, she didn't grow up on a dairy farm. She grew up on a sheep farm. Remember when wool was king, like dairy is now? Well, she barely can, but she remembers her parents and grandparents talking about it and about how it hit the skids in the 1980s. So... 
Perhaps it's the sharp decline of New Zealand's seemingly indestructible wool industry, which means Danielle can see a serious threat facing dairy. We heard a lot of rhetoric back in the day about how synthetic fibres will never replace wool. We should just run some marketing campaigns to convince people that wool is the best, and they know it's the best. Why would a New Zealander ever buy a skirt, a jacket, socks made of anything other than wool? And we know where we are today. I mean, if you look at your your trousers, your shirt, your socks, is any of that wool? Did you even think about it when you bought that? So I think this whole um, synthetic proteins is no threat to the real thing. That's a generational comment. And I think future generations, they'll be buying their packet of chips, they'll be buying their chocolate, and the question will never come up in their mind of, oh, I wonder if the milk powder gone into making that chocolate was from real cows. Could the dairy industry be ousted by alternatives in the way the wool industry was in the 80s? Adam Giddens, a share milker who farms his herd of 200 cows just outside Carterton in the Wairarapa, doesn't share Danielle Appleton's sense of doom about synthetics taking over the real thing. The natural milk is, it's a whole food. Um, eating whole foods like milk is healthier for you than processed foods. Synthetics will have their place, but I still believe that naturally produced milk will still be better for you, provided it is produced environmentally friendly and animals are looked after. It's calving time, and as he shows me around the farm, his herd is rapidly being added to. Four cows in one paddock are in the process of giving birth. This one needs a bit of a helping hand. Just working with the cow when she pushes, I pull. Yep, sort of working in time with her contractions. Yep, that's it. So yeah, we've got the calf out to the hips now, so it's just a matter of getting the hips through the pelvis. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she's very happy for this assistance. <laughs> and we have a calf. Welcome to the world. Yeah, priority is to um, yeah, get her up and look in a calf. He and his wife are planning their lives around a future in the dairy industry. They're saving to buy their own farm, and he's sticking with dairy. We'll adapt, we will make it work, we'll do whatever we have to. Um, you know, we're all passionate about farming. We're all passionate about our animals. We're passionate about our environment. Um, we're not going to chuck it in just because someone decides they can they can do synthetics. Um, we're just going to have to get better at it and tell our story so people will continue to buy our, our natural produced proteins. Adam Giddens thinks there'll be a place for both natural and synthetic dairy. He thinks it's important that natural dairy makes a point of labelling its products well so people know they're buying the real thing. He also wants consumers to be aware that genetic modification is used to make dairy in the lab. I think they'll coexist. Um, I think there'll there'll always be a demand for natural, and you know there's going to be a demand for synthetics because um, the population's growing, and we will not be able to produce enough natural protein to feed the world. So there's going to have to be a, a substitute and an alternative. And I think. There is a place for synthetic proteins as long as it is disclosed that it is a synthetic and you know people get the choice to buy it or not. His view that natural and synthetics will coexist on the supermarket shelf is shared by the country's biggest dairy co-op, Fonterra. 
Fonterra didn't respond to Insight's request to be interviewed for this programme, but last month its Chief Science and Technology Officer Jeremy Hill was at the Protein Tech Future of Food conference in Auckland. Oh, it's, it's, it's probably the best job in the company, so I get, I get to look at cool things that impact Fonterra. In, he told in RNZ Rural News his job is mostly focused on answering the questions of how to feed a growing world population. And interestingly, I, I would have thought maybe uh, 10 years ago I'd spend most of my time on product and process-based innovation, and, and today it's about up to 80% of the times on nutrition and sustainability. Jeremy Hill says ideas around fermentation-based protein making are not new, but it's keeping an eye on developments. Yeah, so you've got these new technologies emerging, cellular-based agriculture, as they're called, which you know can be essentially growing whole uh, animal cells, or, or it could be using, for example, uh, microorganisms of one form or other, often yeast, to... Um, to make nutrients. In fact, that, that's been around for a long time, so some of the micronutrients have been made using yeast for decades and decades. The question now is, can you produce the major nutrients, you know, like protein, nutritional protein that way? Um, it's very early days. Um, there's some interesting um, developments. Uh, we're part of that picture. Um, we think it's going to play a role. Uh, the question at this point is just how big. While yeast fermentation is often billed as clean dairy, he says it isn't without its problems. There's no free lunch. So when you look at these fermentation-produced processes, just like cows need to eat grass, the yeast need to consume their nutrients. So to produce the protein, you've got to feed them a lot of sugar, and it's an awful lot of sugar. So it's, it's around 5 to 10 to 1. So you need 5 to 10 grams of sugar to get 1 gram of protein. The other point is that that sugar itself is associated with three to five times as much green biomass waste. So, for example, um, a tonne of protein produced this way might require 10 tonnes of sugar, and that 10 tonnes of sugar might be 30 tonnes of of, uh, foliage. So how you close the loop by using that foliage to feed animals could be a critical part of the overall sustainability picture. The use of genetic modification in the lab process may also prove a stumbling block, but he believes there will be a place for both natural and synthetic dairy. I think the biggest challenge isn't whether we've got disruption or substitution of one food for another, it's actually how do we produce enough full stop. And so there's plenty of room in there. We've said for a long time we see a future for natural, grass-fed, produced dairy within this picture. But also the alternatives... Um, sources of, be they plant-based or some of those new technologies, have a role to play. How big that role may be, we, we're still trying to work out. And just how we play in that space, I think we've yet to determine. But we're very open-minded because if you look at demand in the future and the fact that the whole world needs to have a sustainable food system, we need to look at the role of plants, animals and the alternatives within that picture. And, and then The tricky task will be communicating that so that the consumers actually have a proper understanding when they're making their food choices. Fonterra does appear to be hedging its bets when it comes to the future of paddock-grown dairy. In February this year, it announced it had invested in a US-based biotech company called Motif Ingredients. Motif is another company using fermentation to make dairy proteins. Like other similar companies, it also has its eye on being the makers of those invisible dairy ingredients in millions of products. 
In a media release, Fonterra's Head of Global Consumer and Food Service Business, Judith Swales, said this. The move is part of the cooperative's commitment to its farmer owners to stay at the forefront of innovation to understand and meet the changing preferences of consumers. While the terms will not be disclosed, Fonterra's investment represents a minority stake in the business. Farmers expect their co-op to get the most value from every drop of their milk and also to keep an eye on tomorrow to future-proof their co-op for generations to come. Dairy nutrition will always be at our core, but we also want to explore how we can capture more value from new types of nutrition. The complementary nutrition category, where plant, insect, algae and fermentation produce nutrition coexist alongside animal proteins, including cow's milk, is fast evolving. It is not a case of either or, but both. Matt Gibson is a New Zealand synthetic dairy protein entrepreneur whose lab in San Francisco is making a synthetic mozzarella that tastes and, very importantly, stretches like the real thing. He doesn't buy the argument that synthetic and natural dairy will happily coexist. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the capacity that this technology has to scale, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. So by no means can we do it today. But once we get over these uh, technical hurdles and can scale effectively, we can get to a point where theoretically we can be making dairy and meat products without the animal at a far, far cheaper cost than uh, traditional or natural, or however you want to say it, um, farming. And really at the end of the day, consumers are driven by price and um, the product, the taste of it. And if we can get a cheaper product that tastes just as good, if not better, then that's going to be really where the majority of consumers um, head towards. He thinks there'll be a place for a small market of high-end natural dairy products, but ultimately the industry will shrink. So if fake dairy does have the potential to majorly disrupt real dairy, what should New Zealand be doing? Danielle Appleton wishes she had all the answers. From my background, which is uh, food technology, I think there's a huge amount of opportunity in taking a lot of the stuff that we've learned on the land, so ag tech, and taking a lot of the stuff that we've learned about how to make really amazing food products and converting that into intellectual property. So New Zealand's great at solving food problems. It's something that's baked into our heritage. And I really believe that we can start focusing on how do we package those food problems and their solutions up and sell them overseas. And I know there are some people um, that are really focused on how do we build companies that take all our know-how and take our agricultural background and our food technology background and turn that into businesses that can really help rural communities get another income stream and can help bolster New Zealand so we're no longer as reliant on selling uh, slabs of meat, bags of milk powder. KPMG's global head of agribusiness, Ian Proudfoot, says we have a lot of work to do and ultimately we need to produce fewer litres of milk and more high-end products. What we've had in the last 10 years is probably a real drive for volume in the dairy sector and as a consequence, when you get more volume, you've got to be able to do something with milk. It can't be left for, for a week before you do something about it. You've got to do something instantly. So we have geared the industry towards processing that product into you know, skim milk powder, which is a, a base commodity product. The reality is, though, when we look forward over the next 10 years, 
the industry is going to have to start taking some quite significant strides forward in respect of how it responds to the climate challenge the world faces. And in doing that, I think over time we will see a natural rebalancing in how we produce our products. We will not produce with the same seasonal peak we see at the moment. We will see a lengthening of our supply curve. I also believe that we will probably see less milk being produced overall in New Zealand. And each litre less milk we produce means we have one litre less commodity and one litre more that we're able to add value to. So I think when you you look at it, I, I think the industry has started on a journey. He doesn't think the industry is doomed just yet. No, absolutely not. Um, I I suppose where I sit on this issue is um, a lot of these products that are being developed are being developed as and they they become an alternative competitor to New Zealand's existing products. But um, I think there will always be a market for naturally produced products that are produced sustainably and where we can tell the story about where the products come from. The, you, you, the market is not one consumer with one perspective. It's, it's millions and millions of different niches. And dairy farmers, of course, they're used to adapting and they're having to adapt now climate change issues, animal welfare issues. Um, yep. What would you say to a dairy farmer if you're standing in the paddock with them today about where they should be looking to head with their so, business? Yeah. So if you look at the Productivity Commission's recent report on productivity in the New Zealand economy, uh, the agriculture sector has stood out as the beacon of the sector in our economy that has continuously managed to improve its productivity. So farmers are inherently novel and inherently able to adopt to change. The challenge is the change that we've got coming in the next 10, 15, 20 years is not a slight evolutionary change, it's a step change. And we are going to have to lean into some big fundamental challenges you know the 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 change that's going to be needed to respond to carbon is the biggest change the industry's faced since subsidies were withdrawn in the mid-1980s that's going to be challenging and confronting to some farmers it's going to mean for some of them they're going to have to change what they do fundamentally they will potentially not dairy any longer we've been quite open in saying we will we expect to see more multi-product farming systems emerge so you know in a way a step back um, t- towards the future and that we, we go back to farms that do a bit of cropping and a bit of animal husbandry and maybe some horticulture and you know as long as they can do that at scale and do it economically in a valid way we, uh, we, we would expect to see that starting to happen. Danielle Appleton is urging the dairy industry to talk openly about the threat. I know through my own personal contacts that there are a number of discussions going on behind closed doors about these synthetic proteins and trying to assess how much of a risk this is going to be to New Zealand's industry. The risk is high enough that we actually need to start talking as communities and that means having really hard conversations. But this is something I say with love and with concern because we get ahead of this and New Zealand collectively is in a much better place. In particular, New Zealand's rural communities are in a better place. Those looking to the future want New Zealand's dairy industry to start thinking now, so their livelihoods and this country's earning ability are not hit badly by the disruption that's coming, but are instead set up to grab every opportunity it presents. 
That programme was written and presented by Teresa Cowie. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes on crucial issues affecting the rural economy, from irrigation, the Provincial Growth Fund, to pressure on rural emergency services, you can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Insight page on the RNZ website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Insight investigates the huge toll extracted by every death on the road. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you listening and we'll be back again next week.